Hello, everybody, and welcome to Staying Fit ODAT. My name is Migs, and I'm your host. ODAT is an acronym for one day at a time that I picked up in early sobriety and something that's stuck with me every day since. Welcome to another episode of the Staying Fit ODAT podcast. My name is Migs. I'm going to be your host today. I'm an alcoholic. So just a friendly reminder, please go ahead and leave a rating, a review. Go ahead and click that five stars, show us some love, say some kind words. We definitely appreciate it. It helps out for those people that don't already know about the podcast. Anybody that's not already aware about it, it'll help pop up in their relevance and their queue for suggestions for fitness, well-being, health, uh, mental awareness, any of that stuff, uh, any of those relevance cues. And it'll just help pop up as a suggestion. And you never know when one of these stories could really hit with someone and could really help save someone's life. So definitely please go ahead and leave a rating or review. It's pretty much the only thing I'm asking of uh, anybody who listens to this podcast right now. So with that being said, our next host is going to be Henry. Henry is someone that popped up on Facebook for me, someone that just popped up as a mutual friend. And just based off of uh, the mutual friends that we had, I just reached out, sent him a message, said, hey, is it safe to assume that you're in recovery? And I clearly see that you're a runner and you're in awesome stuff. And he said, yes, that was a, a fair assumption. And I wanted to get him on here to share his story just because of the pictures I saw. It seems like he has a lot to share. So I'll be honest, I don't know too much about Henry. I don't like to dive into the guests before we get him on the show because I like these interviews to be as natural as possible. So here we go. I'm super excited to hear this story along with you all. And uh, yeah, let's have some fun. So with that being said, why don't you introduce yourself, who you are, where you're from, what you do for a living? Hey, my name is Henry Ward. Uh, I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts. I live in Chandler, Arizona. I'm currently unemployed, but I'm a chef and a food service director by trade. And I'm still trying to learn a lot about Henry too. Uh, every day is you know, a little bit of self-discovery and, and self-work, but I'm willing to, to put the work in, put the time in to, to try to be the best version of myself to really discover who I am. So, um, yeah, running is running is my drug of choice now, but, um, in the past I smoked a lot of weed and my real problem was with alcohol. Um, I currently, like I said, reside in Chandler, Arizona. I got a lovely wife of 16 years and a nine year old son and a, and a dog and a desert tortoise. that goes by the name of rocket. And none of that would have been possible if I was still drinking and using for sure. And there's a, there's a couple of things I want to get into right away before we start talking about your childhood. So first, I'm also in the restaurant industry. Um, what kind of uh, what kind of place are you a chef at? So I've done I've done kindergarten through 12. I've done business dining. Um, I worked at Arizona State University. I worked at a hospital, most recently a mental health uh, behavioral hospital. I've done a little bit of everything. I've done personal chefing on my own, catering, food styling, you name it. So I've been doing it for a while. Nice, nice. It's and uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. It definitely is lo long hours. And I mean, we'll get more into this as well, but definitely uh, one of those professions where it's very, very, very easy to justify drinking, especially depending on where you're working. It's very prevalent. Uh, yep. And next, being from the Boston area, I don't know if you're a sports guy outside of running. Uh, don't don't hurt me here and tell me that you're a Red Sox fan or a Celtics fan or a Bruins fan or a Patriots Come on, man. fan. It's, it's in my blood. Yeah, I'm a diehard uh, fan. You know, I think I've been to Fenway Park more than pretty much any place in my life. Um, I went oh, back man. and saw the, the 
the Red Sox Yankees playoff game there when I was back for the Boston Marathon. And yeah, I'm I used a diehard Yankees fan. Yeah, it's a good rivalry. You know, that was a really great game. That place was electric and there was no fist fights for the first time I've been to a lot of Red Sox Yankees games. You know, there was a lot of, a lot of uh, going back and forth, but nothing, you know, that was unfriendly. It was pretty cool. I really do. Uh, I respect the Yankees and enjoy the rivalry. I will, I will say um, I've only ever been to one Yankees Red Sox game. It was at Yankee stadium. It was back when I was drinking. I actually got ejected from the game. Um, I got kicked out in like the sixth or seventh inning. The Red Sox were kicking the shit out of the Yankees that game. Like, I think you had a double digit lead and uh, some, some, Poor, some poor sport Red Sox fans started with me out, out in the, uh, in the food line. And I, I had way too many adult beverages to be able to stay quiet when we're losing by 10 plus runs. And so I retaliated and I'm, I'm just, I can be an asshole. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, for sure. I, for sure. I got kicked out. Um, but I would, I would sincerely, I would love to go to Fenway. One of my best friends, he's like a little brother to me. He's a huge Red Sox fan. And it's been like on our list of things to go to, to go to Fenway, but I want to go, I want to go for a weekend because I want to go to two games. I want to go to a game where I can sit down in the stadium, enjoy the game. And then I would love to go to uh, one and stand in the green monster. Cause I just think that there's so much history with Fenway. Not to get too off subject, but you can go for a tour there too. Like, and the tour is really neat. It's, you know, I don't like doing touristy things, but you really get a lot of fun facts and a lot of knowledge of the history of the green monster and the, you know, the whole park in general. Um, Absolutely. Really, I would love really, to. really cool tour. Cause I'm supposed, you know, I'm a Yankees fan, so I'm supposed to hate the Red Sox, but like you said, I, I respect the rivalry and I do love, I love baseball and I love the history of the sport too. So I would, I would totally be in for that. And you know, my, my end goal is to qualify for the Boston marathon. So that'll probably end up being the first time I'm up in Boston and we'll see if we can work, work things out for that. Um, so yeah, let's go ahead and jump into your story. Tell us about your childhood growing up, pretty much your experiences up until, up until the first time you, you try to a drink or a drug. So I, I grew up in a middle-class family in Waltham, Massachusetts, you know, a suburb eight miles North of Boston. And, you know, we had somewhat of a normal life, very traditional family. Um, but alcohol was prevalent throughout my family and, and throughout, you know, my immediate family, but, you know, aunts, uncles, grandparents, each side of the family, there was definitely um, alcoholism. And, you know, a lot of this stuff was just kind of, we shouldn't talk about this outside the house. Right. And then, you know, the, the, the neighbors that my parents hung out with, they played cards and everybody was drinking pretty much in, in excess. So it's kind of what I watched and learned growing up. And I watched what alcohol uh, did to other people. It, it turned them into, to loud, belligerent, swearing, banging things, um, you know, different people. And, and quite frankly, people that weren't very present, you know, while they were the in, under the influence, it definitely changed them into different people. And I didn't like that at all. Um, you know, my dad was uh, an angry drunk and just not very present. I didn't have a, he's, he passed away, but he, um, I didn't have a great relationship with him. We're kind of like oil and water because a lot of the times he was under the influence. Uh, later in life, he, miraculously got sober didn't do any AA or anything like that just kind of white knuckled it but you know good for him it definitely he was definitely a better person but he didn't work on his character defects or anything like that but so growing up I always had like resentment towards him and, and some of the other family members and neighbors uh, when they drank because it turned them into into assholes and you know and monsters and 
Um, I vowed never to drink. Like, I don't want to, I should have seen the signs, you know, I have an addictive personality. Um, I vowed never to drink because I didn't want to be like that. I didn't want to uh, um, be belligerent and not present. And so, yeah, no, growing up, I was addicted to candy, to collecting baseball cards, to collecting tropical fish and like aggressive fish. I always, I needed to get more, like nothing in moderation, right? For an alcoholic or an addict is always more and more and more, you know, the old, uh, the money's burning a hole in my pocket. It was it, it, what it was. <laughs> I needed to get, I needed something to satisfy some sort of void, you know, from inside. Um, and I didn't really, you know, think about it too, too much then, but, um, you know, the first time I drank, I remember being at a friend's house, an Italian family, and they were serving wine. And I just remember, you know, having like two or three glasses of wine and just being kind of like super goofy and silly and laughing and really warm and, you know, break dancing on the floor and kind of feeling a little bit out of my mind. That was my first taste of it. And then, um, so that kind of, that seed was kind of planted. And then we had, my friends had an opportunity to get some, some, uh, some beer or some liquor. We ended up pooling our money together and getting something to buy for us. We bought a couple of cases of like Seagram's Wildberry wine coolers. And I couldn't get those things in me fast enough. You know, I remember just like getting sick and just like, you know, having massive heartburn from, from that crap and drinking more. And, and just, you know, I just love the way it, it made me feel. I got fucked up, you know? And, um, you know, the next morning I had woken up and I remember vaguely sliding down a railing in my friend's backyard down the stairs. It was on a hill. And, you know, everything was built like on these big granite boulders and stuff, you know, just blasted out the whole subdivision and like smashed my, my back and my arms and my legs and everything in my head on one of the boulders falling off the railing. And, you know, I Ouch. vaguely remember that happening. Yeah. And I remember waking up in the rain in a sleeping bag on my friend's porch going, what, what happened last night, you know? And I felt like a rock star. I felt like that was awesome. You know, that's what you're supposed to do. That, you know, you drink in excess, what a party, you know, a smashing headache. And, you know, once, and I'm like, you know, but I don't know if, I don't know when the next time I ever get a drink again is, you know, I feel like shit in the same breath. I don't know. That was pretty rough. And you know, I started throwing up and then I had to go home, you know, and kind of face my parents and stuff. And um, yeah, you know, so I'm like, all right, that was enough for me. And then after the smoke cleared, after I felt better, it started, we started plotting and planning the next time we can, we could do it. And that probably was the next weekend and the weekend after that. So it became like a Saturday type thing where we drank and every single time I drank, I drank in excess, you know, as many as I could get my hands on. Some people would have two or three, some of some other us would have, you know, as many as they could. And for me, it was like a competition. Like, look, I gave you, I gave you $6 or $7 and you guys aren't going to drink them. I'm going to drink as many of these as I can, you know? <laughs> um, and I did, you know, and I just, I really liked the way it made me feel. I kind of, I was able to express myself and, you know, and talk a little bit more Then we started going to parties and, and different things like that. And, you know, it gave me the courage to, to talk to people I normally wouldn't talk to, whether it was girls or just people that were popular or whatever, you know, I just, I felt like I could be myself. I felt like I could say anything. And that started to get me in trouble too, because I spoke my mind. I, I, uh, I said things maybe I probably shouldn't have said. I got in the fights. Yeah. yeah. I just didn't really know what I was doing, but I thought I did. I, I thought I was in control, but I was never in control. Um, I love when you hear but, someone's first drinking story. Um, when I get to hear their, their first story on this podcast and, they, a lot of times people say, oh, man, 
you know, after that first time, I'm never doing that again. But uh, spoiler alert, if you're listening on this podcast, that's probably not the case. There's probably a lot of that. That was probably just the beginning. Um, how old did you say you were at this point? The first time I really drank, like, you know, at my friend's house that instant, I was 17. So I was a okay. junior in high school. Yeah. And then, you know, senior, senior in high school, there's a lot more parties. We started, you know, meeting more people and kind of traveling around a little bit, even like, you know, we'd go to the next town or the next city. Somebody knew some, somebody. So we started seeking out parties and, you know, then I, I went to college. I tried college a little bit and, um, quite often I didn't go to class. I just found people that were just like me that wanted to party. You know, um, I was, I was commuting. I had a half an hour commute, but there was people that stayed on campus and like, I don't fucking feel like going to class today. It was, it was an easy, all I had to say that, like, yeah, me neither. What do you want to do? Let's go get some beer. And, and, you know, I got a little bit of weed or something. Let's go do that. You know? Okay. Sounds good. So do that all day and then find my way home in the night and come the next day to school. I don't feel like, I don't feel like going to class. I mean, either let's do the same thing. So yeah, I just kind of coasted through that. And I was really immature anyways. And college really wasn't for me. I was going, I was taking like liberal arts, um, I didn't even know what liberal arts was, but you know, the guidance counselor in high school told me just, just do that. And then you can kind of figure out your career. You can just take general classes. And I was taking bullshit classes, not wanting to be there and just rather party. So I started partying a little bit more. And then once I turned 21, it was on cause I could buy liquor. I could buy beer pretty much anytime I wanted to. And then I really, How were you getting like, it before you were 21? Did you have connections? Uh, Somebody have a fake ID? I know people. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like literally like there was like a Puerto Rican packy on Sundays, like a package store. That's what we call you know, liquor stores. Um, so we'd go, there was like a dollar of beer. Uh, you know, we'd go to stores and like, Hey man, do you think you could go buy us a case of beer or a case of wine coolers? Or, you know, some parents would buy for us some big brothers, some, some sisters, some friends, just older kids that we hang out with. You know, we started seeking out people that, that would buy for us, you know, we'd give them, kick them five or 10 bucks and they get free beer. Or they get a little bit of money in their pocket. They're happy too. So for the most part, we always could find somebody. Um, yeah. And then once I was 21, actually, you know, there's a few friends that turned 21 before I did. And, you know, then they could buy for us anytime. And, but then when I turned 21, I started drinking a lot more and then drinking every day and drinking by myself. You know, if nothing was going on, you know, I needed a party. I needed to be entertained. So I'd listen to music. I'd watch TV and just get high and drink beer, you know, just to pass the time away. And I thought that was, I thought that was fun. But um, I also, you know, it, it was all depressing. Alcohol is depressing. And, you know, it did make me sad. And I felt guilty. Um, you know, what am I doing? I could have done this. I could have done that. But then I fell into that. You know, I kind of fell in the trap. Like I was automatically going to a liquor store. I just find myself. That was just part of what I did every day after work go there, get a six pack or a 12 pack. And, and I just go home and isolate. And that kind of, you know, that was, a. Uh, I did that for a while and, you know, go to the parties when there were parties, but I'm like, I'm spending all my time and pretty much all my money on beer and, and weed and stuff. And it just became kind of my identity and kind of what I did. Um, yeah. And I just kind of fell in a hole. I, you know, my, my growth was stunted. I didn't know really what I wanted to do. I dropped out of college. That wasn't for me. And I just worked and just kind of coexisted and partied for years and watched sports. And, you know, every Sunday was like a holiday, man. We during football season, you know, watching, we'd watch the Pats games and then we watched the other game, the four o'clock game and probably the night game too, drinking dollar drafts. And, you know, there's 162 baseball games on a year. We'd always watch the Sox and 
what goes. I hand gotta in imagine hand. that uh, sports if, to to be a, to be a Patriots fan before Tom Brady, you probably actually had to be from Boston, because I it feel like rough, a lot man. a lot of those fans came out of the woodwork. Like I grew up in the era of like Tom Brady when I was young. I still remember the first time I ever said "fuck Tom Brady." I'm a Steelers fan, and it was uh, his rookie year when he came. When he was, he came out, he had a great season, and then Bledsoe came back in the AFC Championship. The Steelers were actually leading in the AFC Championship against the Patriots, and then Bledsoe got hurt again, which to this day, I still swear, that was an injury that was orchestrated by the coaching staff because they were like, we can't bench Bledsoe, but Brady is the better option here. And I still think that injury was either faked or orchestrated or something, but it's Brady came possible. back in. He rallied to come back, and that was that was the first time I ever said "fuck Tom Brady." And uh, yeah, it's it's been that case ever since. He's ended quite a few seasons for the Steelers. Quite a few. Yeah. My days go back to you know the early days, but they weren't on TV. It was always subject to blackout because they sucked. You know, they'd sell like twenty thousand yeah, exactly. tickets. That's what I said. Back then, you had to actually be. I would assume you probably had to actually be from Boston because I don't remember ever seeing a Patriots hat on anyone before Brady. Well, it, I mean, it wasn't even on back home. So, like, you know, the Giants were always on. The, the Cowboys were always on. There was the Niners, the Redskins. It was just certain teams. Um, the Steelers were on a lot, too. So, um, honestly, when I was younger, I liked the Steelers, too. But don't tell anybody. Oops. <laughs> uh, but, no, uh, once once um, Bledsoe came, Parcells, the craft ownership and stuff, they started uh, really turning it around. Uh, I had a season ticket. We went to a playoff game in Cleveland in 96 when Belichick was the coach of the Browns. Um, you know, that's when I really started becoming a, a, a fan because, you know, it's not fun to watch a team that goes two and two and 14 and, and just, you know, doesn't have a very good product on the field. But once they started winning and they were on TV all the time and it was, it was, uh, it was more enjoyable to watch. I really started, really started liking the Pats. Um, yeah. So before that, Bledsoe, Terry Glenn, you know, back in the day before Brady, I was a fan too. But yeah. <laughs> loyal, loyal. Yeah. So, anyways, not to get too far off, off subject, but yeah, no. So my drinking just kind of progressed and I kept trying to find uh, um, ways to stop. So I started going to the gym and I felt good. I was eating, I was eating right. So I'd go through these like health kicks and, you know, that would last three or four days and I'd start drinking a little bit. And then I started rewarding myself. I started smoking weed before I'd go to the gym. I could get in the zone, you know, I'd feel I'd get a, get a better workout. And then um, I started rewarding myself with a, with a great workout with a few beers after too. And so then I kind of went back to my, the same, same old, same old drinking a lot. And then I'd go to the gym still, but I would get kind of a half-assed workout because I felt like shit from drinking the day before the night before. Um, you know, the weekends I started drinking, earlier in the morning you couldn't buy beer on Sundays in Massachusetts uh, growing up and then they changed the law you could buy it at noontime uh, so before that that was way too late how was I going to get primed to go watch football or how am I going to get primed before I go to that cookout on Sunday afternoon so I drive up to New Hampshire 6 6 30 in the morning when the stores open go to the gas station and get it get a 12 pack dump my iced coffee out that I didn't need anymore crack a beer kind of hear the dog Drive back 30 minutes and have two or three beers. And How far and, of a drive was that? 30 minutes. Okay. You know, so I go back and just have a couple beers and then go back and then have a couple more. Maybe get on the park, have a few in the parking lot. And like, shit, I don't have, I only have like four beers left. 
I either need I need more to keep going. You know, oh my God, it's ten o'clock in the morning. I got two hours till the bar opens. I can start watching football. So sometimes I'd even go back to New Hampshire and like stop like three times on the way up there to go to the bathroom in the thirty minute drive because I had all these beers in me and no food. Now, right? technically speaking, are you breaking the law when you do that? Oh, I mean, it's drinking and driving, right? But I mean, not only that too, but like bringing Open alcohol container. across, or even just bringing no, 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 the no, alcoholic. No. no? Because no, it's I, tax free New Hampshire. Yeah. Okay. Cause I know that like, that's an issue here in Pennsylvania. Um, I live in very Eastern Pennsylvania. I'm about 20 minutes from the New Jersey border and our liquor stores close earlier than theirs. So sometimes people would drive, especially if you lived even in the neighboring city. I mean, it's right across, it's a stone's throw away. And so yeah, you'd yeah. go over to New Jersey, but sometimes there would even be a cop like waiting there, like right before you cross Pocket over trunk. the state line, because it's technically illegal to bring bring the booze across state lines when you buy them in one state and then take them to the to take them to the next. And they knew what people from Pennsylvania were doing. So yeah, I know yeah, that sure. there's been quite a few instances of, of people getting in some trouble. I don't think you can go to jail or anything, but it's like it's a it's a nice no, little easy find. Get some New Jersey tax dollars or, you know, yeah, or, or, take, or you bought or they take and drink it. Yeah. Or you yeah, bought but... booze for the cop that night. Pretty much, you know, one or the other. Um, so it was like so, that with fireworks. Fireworks is like that. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. confiscate the fireworks. Yep. So I wasn't sure if that was the the same case for you. Like if you get pulled over, you know, on or even if you're still sober at that point, just grabbing it. Like, do you take a chance of getting in trouble as well for that? Or yeah, I no, I don't think so. Okay. No. But and either way, got. you're you're still drinking and driving on a Sunday morning, you know, and and going across the state line, even if it is close, and making that trip multiple times. So I think that's like the first sign of of the of the early struggle and you know you're just refusing to not drink it's you're gonna do whatever always, you gotta do i always felt weird going into the liquor store or whatever you know a convenience store at 6 6 30 in the morning and like putting a pack of 12 pack up on the uh on the counter and paying for it i felt like it kind of like wigged me out a little bit like i kind of i feel like i feel like a scumbag i feel like i don't know like what am i doing but I kept doing it anyways, you know, and I, that was kind of like one of the first times like people told me I had a problem, but that was like, man, maybe I do have a problem. Like, this is not normal. I don't see anybody else really doing that. And if I do, I, I would point it out like, man, that guy's got a problem, right? I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. And then yeah, I'm going to drive, drive. I know I used to, uh, I used to work third shift at a call center and because you work, work third shift, shift um, you know, 6am, 7am, 8am, at those at those times, those are legitimate, uh, understandable and pretty much the appropriate drinking time because your body clock, that's like your evening time. That's like it's evening. Yeah. You know, yeah. So when you and all the coworkers go to the to the local bar for, you know, kegs and eggs, that's no different than going with a bunch of your coworkers for a beer after work at five o'clock and going to grab going to grab some food and a beer after work. So it's normal. But I remember like this is. This is back when I didn't think I had a problem and I would try and make sure that anybody that saw me with a drink in my hand, I would try and make a point to make sure that they knew I worked third shift because I didn't want to be confused with the that person who who just showed up because the bar just opened. I, I needed everybody to know that I'm only drinking at 8 a.m. because I just got done working and I would find times too where that wasn't the case and I would just lie and say I just got done working and because I already knew that mentality, that was like, my excuse the rest of life. Like if I went to go buy booze at seven or 8 AM, I would, I would lie to a clerk and be like, Oh yeah, I just got done working for, you know, I just, or, or this is for later. This is, 
yeah, I got yeah. this afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Ex- yeah, exactly. Whatever the case may be, like I, I you know, and, and they're they don't care or they know you're lying, but at the same time, it's, it's just like, I, I guess I was making myself feel better with those bullshit lies. But well, we, go, uh, yeah, I, we go, we go, we go to a dank bar that opened at eight in the morning and, and, and like sitting there, it's all like city workers or guys that just like old guys that just want to get away from their wife, get out of the house. And me and another guy is sitting there and same thing. Like, what am I doing here? And so we'd say like, ah, yeah, you know, just make up some, story why we were there we do it again like a couple of days later you know oh yeah celebrating something you know i work third shift you know make sure we got put that out there too <laughs> you can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning jesus man you know like you guys been, <laughs> you get a burger too <laughs> um, yeah so you know so i started going to the gym and and then uh you know speed up to little bit later in life, like I got to go to school. I got to get a career. I got to do something. College wasn't for me. I've tried that three times. So I ended up going to culinary, culinary art school. And I thought that was going to be enough to keep me sober, you know, also, um, you know, I'm going to pay all this money, spend a lot of time learning. I need a clear head. I need some clarity. And that worked for a few days too. And I found that people that I went to school with were also alcoholics and also really like to drink and um what we would do is sometimes we'd go out for drinks afterwards or on wednesdays even before the seminars we'd have a couple before we went in a couple appetizers a couple drinks and go into school um yeah and then you know working full-time going to school full-time nights i'm like i won't have time to party well guess what alcoholics and addicts find time to do that they make it a priority so i had less time to party so i would kind of accelerate that and that's when i started drinking a little bit more hard liquor because i'm like i gotta get i don't have that much time to drink like i want to i'm gonna have to get this this party started a little bit sooner so i started smoking mixing a little bit more weed and drinking a little more tequila a little bit more rum and mixing that with beer and um, that really did a number on me too um you know created a lot more stress i had a lot less clarity and um yeah, I, I was back to doing what I was, what I said I wanted to cut down on and doing more, right? My way never really worked. And then um, a geographical change. I decided that I was going to move to Arizona. And, and how old are you at uh, this point? 34 years old. So it was November 2004. And I had met my girlfriend at the time, uh, now wife, uh, over the internet before I kind of came out in September for vacation to see if I liked it. And um, we kind of hit it off. And then I decided to move out and figured, all right, she's going to, the geographical change and she doesn't really drink that much. This is my chance to get sober. And, and that lasted eh, the plane ride. And then we went out for, for dinner and I had a couple of glasses of wine and, you know, I wanted to keep myself in check. And then the next night it was like yeah, I had a couple of beers and I made dinner for at, at her where she was staying at the house. And I had a couple of beers and the next day I had a few more beers and she started questioning why I need to drink every day. I'm like, I don't need to, but it's like, you know, I'm unwinding. I just got here. I'm kind of on vacation, vacation mode, getting settled in. You know, I don't drink every day. Trust me. You know? <laughs> um, so um, I started, you know, introducing the boost, the relationship. And she, she's like, I don't understand why I have to drink every day. I'm like, well, and so yesterday you told me you had a good day today you're telling me you're having a bad day the other day was it's raining out I'm like well it never rains in arizona so you drank like that's not a reason to drink i'm like well i'm just kind of stuck inside 
And the day before that, it was, you know, there was a Suns game on the day before that it was football on Sunday. Like every day there's a game on every day is, you know, it's either hot out, cold out, good day, bad day. These, you know, these are all kind of reasons why you're telling me why you were drinking, you know, do you have a problem? Like, no, I don't have a problem. Um, I'm just kind of going through this phase, getting settled in, like I told you, but you know, I had a problem. I was trying to hide it from her. I was trying to moderate it. And, and then I cooled it down when the heat was on, I kind of cooled it down a little bit. But, you know, in my mind, like, when's the next time I can really drink like I want to? And then I had a bad day, like, pity party, like, nobody's hiring me. I need to get a job. Funds are getting low. What am I doing? Did, was this a mistake moving cross country? I failed uh, at sobriety. And, like, so, like, fuck it. So I went to the store, you know, got some beer and got some, some rum and guzzled just maybe a little bit too more or a lot too more, too much that, you know, that I can handle. And I really don't remember, but... I was woken up by her as she went to work. I came home and just kind of laying down on the kitchen floor unconscious. I don't know if I hit my head or whatever, but um, I blacked out and that's, that's where I, that's where I lay. That's where I was. That's where she found me. And um, she was really scared. And I kind of was too, because I thought it was first, I thought I was going to lose her second. I, I mean, I didn't even know what happened, but I thought I was going to lose her. I thought that was the deal breaker and stuff, but you know, I vowed to not drink like that again and really cut down. So, for a few days, I didn't really drink. You didn't even vow around. to not drink. You just vowed to not drink like that. Yes, correct. Correct. I can fix this. And so, yeah. Now, in your mind, of- do you actually know that you have a drinking problem yet? Or is this still the part where you're still trying to figure things out and in your brain somewhere you're you're still thinking, I don't have a problem yet. You know, I'm just no, I'm, I-, I just like to have a little too much fun. Or did you actually know at that no. point? I knew I had a problem. I just, um, I thought I could still handle it. You know, maybe if I tried just again, just having a couple of glasses of wine, like that was okay. When we went out to, to dinner and when, when I made dinner at, at the house for her, I only had a couple of beers. If I could do that every now and then, maybe just drink on the weekends, you know, or when, you know, we go to a cookout or I can handle that. But, you know, when I had more time, when she wasn't around, that's when I drank like I wanted to, right? And every single time I got fucked up. And she always knew, you know, I talked to her on the phone or she'd come home and like, I'd say, oh, yeah, yeah. I had a couple beers. You know, I did. I had a couple liters, but I also had some tequila. I also had some rum and, you know, I, I've taken a couple naps and I brushed my teeth and I've showered and tried to sober up, but here I am, you know, <laughs> fuck, fucked up um, again. So, you know, we had a roller coaster of that, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of war stories, but um more or less, it was just me drinking, just just over serving myself and acting out and just doing like crazy things and just saying things and just making an ass of myself at parties. At we, you know, went to California, went to Vegas with her work a couple of times, and um, like, who's this guy? What is he doing? He's like, like literally, like just like throwing himself on the floor, pretending to dance, and um, you know, really embarrassed her. Uh, you know, it was her place of work in front of everybody in her company and uh, i just thought it was being funny you know maybe i needed some attention i don't know but um that's just kind of what i did i mean patriots games my, me and my buddy my buddy lit himself on fire one time in the game holy shit. we uh we tailgated and you know we'd make massive pallet fires we did um like wwe like i put him through a table like with all food like off the back of a tailgate like literally like power bombed him through a table <laughs> 
and we were all you know causeway we were just brawling just fooling around i mean there's like 200 people watching us and that was like the the, the be all end all that was the finishing move and then you know we went into the to the stadium um and i thought we were just dirty like from food and just being in the dirt parking lot went to the whole game and you know, i had a good time we drove he couldn't drive home he was worse off than i was which is surprising i drove his car home basically drove for like two hours including traffic two and a half hours to a bar in the night after going to the page after way 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 over serving myself um with the lights off in his car you know wow. i made it all the all the way home you know without getting pulled over like took a huge risk i was you know driving with one eye you know just trying to see straight we get to the bar and both forearms and i have stuff in my face was all all cut up from like the metal on the table we're all cut up we're all bleeding all over the place i just thought it was dirt i went to the bathroom to clean up it was all like little cuts everywhere and everything and before we oh before God. we went into the bathroom we sat there and had a few beers and someone suggested that we get cleaned up so we're sitting there drinking a beer and you know having a shot or whatever just a complete mess not even knowing it um yeah i mean it's just behavior like that that um it wasn't that bad in arizona but still you know I, my reputation was um i was a drunk with those no, close calls, did you ever actually end up finding yourself on the wrong side of the law? Did you end up with any oh, yeah, lies, yeah, public yeah. drunkenness? Or? Yeah, I literally had three different hit and run accidents, all with alcohol involved, all way oh, under no. the influence. One time I did, you know, I think I technically got only one DUI because of lawyers, but you know, I spent a lot of time uh, in court <laughs> because of alcohol and you know, literally like could have killed somebody or killed myself. Um, I took a lot of risks. Um, but you know that wasn't enough to keep me sober either it, it was I'd, I'd pray to god i was praying to god for all the wrong reasons please don't let don't tell the judge not to to throw the book at me you know i can't afford any fines money's a problem you know i don't want to i don't want to lose my license you know were or those me. in boston or arizona or both those are in boston everything was in 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 boston okay so i drank and drove out here too took risks here too but not as not as much not to that um, extreme not to that extreme yeah it's um, i don't know it's not like i didn't care back then but it was like hey listen if i want to go get beer i gotta drive if i want to if i want to go to this party i have to drive right um but yeah no so we had our problems out here with our marriage our relationship and then we started going to family counseling and um i was supposed to be going to aa and i was and that was okay but um I was abstinent from alcohol, but I wasn't fixed. I wasn't doing the work or anything like that. Um, but anyway, so I accepted a position in, 2000, in 2008, a short-term assignment to go to the Beijing Olympics as a chef, which was a really cool opportunity. So, wow. Uh, yeah. Between my wife, myself, and the counselor, the family counselor, you know, we made a pact that I was going to make sure that I kept going to AA out there and, and, and not drink and, now, did you, know, you want to go to AA or were you just going to not lose your wife? Pretty much just went. I mean, I, I kind of wanted to get better and I did feel better. Right. But um, it was more or less to satisfy the counselor's request and, and you know, uh, my wife's request, too. So were, did you have resentments when you were in the rooms? No, I did learn a lot and I heard a lot of things that I needed to hear. It was helpful. But um, I again, I really didn't like put the time and I didn't do a lot of the self-work. I had this like this pink cloud because I had clarity and I wasn't drinking. Um, 
you know, I didn't have really the resentment towards her, towards the counselor, but a little bit towards the counselor because I felt like she was kind of picking on me. She kept telling me what I what I needed to hear. You know, she was just kind of giving me tough love. So I'm like, she doesn't like men. She doesn't like me. But really what it was is just telling me like what I need to hear, what I need to do. Um, so, yeah, so I went to China and what happened was as soon as I got on the airplane, I started drinking. Like, what am I doing? Like, it wasn't, I didn't even like, think about it I led my guard down and all of a sudden I'm on the plane and I got a beer oh, actually at the airport and then on the plane I drank all the way to San Francisco and then once I transferred to to the flight to Beijing I don't really remember it I just remember how long had you drinks. been without a drink to that point it was probably close to 60 days oh wow so a decent amount of time and um, I thought that I would be okay and I wasn't you know, I didn't, again, I didn't put the time in. I wasn't 100% done. I believe you have to be 100% done. And so then I said, all right, you know what? This is kind of going to be like one last hurrah. We're just going to party here, have a good time. And so a couple of days later, when I talked to my wife on the phone, she's like, uh, she, she knew I was drinking. I was repeating myself. And she's like, you know, listen, have a good time. But this is the deal. If you don't come back sober and stay sober forever, we're done. You know, like I'm going to move out. I'm going to get an apartment and figure things out on my own. I need to take care of myself. Like, no, no, no. You know, I'm, I'm just going to drink every now and then. And yeah, well, I really, you know, I, I tore it up pretty good out there. I did learn a lot and did have a good time and got to see some of the games and, and you know, really um, it was a great opportunity. I learned a lot from a lot of the just chefs and managers around the world. And, and made a Were lot you cooking for the athletes or did they bring you on for like all of the touristy stuff? So we were, I was at the main press center. So I was cooking for people in the press, but we also had the contract for athletes village and, and, and a couple of the other locations too. But yeah, we, we athletes, we, when they went for a press conference, they came to the main press center too. And um, you said you got to, uh, you got to watch, watch some of the games. Yeah. I went to eight or nine games. I saw Michael Phelps win gold twice. I saw the, uh, the USA baseball team a couple of different times. I like Steven Strasburg pitch. Wow. Because yeah. 2008 would have also been, if I'm not mistaken, that would have been one of the years that uh, Usain Bolt set a world record, wouldn't it? That is correct. So I saw him up close, too. And I, I saw him on TV. Wow. Like, it doesn't even look real, man. So to go into the bird's nest and, and see him like live in person, like from row 10, come through behind and just kind of tear off the track and win. It, he doesn't even look doesn't even look human. Oh, He's so, so big. You got to see Usain Bolt and Michael Phelps, two of the greatest of all time. It was just absolutely, it was a really, really cool experience all in all, but, you know, maybe I would have enjoyed it even more if I wasn't drinking, you know, everything was super cheap out there, 50 cents for a liter of beer. And so everybody was, there was other people in recovery that kind of went out too and, and tore it up too. But I looked at it as kind of like the last hurrah. And when I come back, everything's going to be good. So I came back and it was, everything was good. You know, I had that pink cloud again, that euphoria and we went away for the weekend and, you know, it was nice to be on American soil, eat like different types of food, things that I was used to, see my wife. And yeah, so everything was good. I started going to AA and everything's good. Everything's good. And um, they rewarded us with a dinner in Orlando, thanking us for all the hard work in Beijing, all the short-term assignment managers and chefs. And so ironically, my wife had a business trip to Orlando too. And she went out there. Uh, like a day after I did no well the day, the same day the same day because I was only out there for 14 hours she arrived shortly after I did and um she's like oh we should connect you know we should hook up out there like six miles away or whatever and 
but call me, call me when you get there. And so she calls me and like, oh, they're doing something now. And meanwhile, as soon as I got on the plane, what did I do? Cracked the beer, got a drink. You know, three hour flight, I had as many drinks as they let me drink. And then as soon as I got there, drinking. And then I get to the event, double fisted the whole time, open bar. And so she knew when she talked to me on the phone, like the second time that I was drinking, I was stumbling around. I was repeating myself. And she said, don't call me. Don't text me anymore. We're done. We'll talk when I get home, when you get home. So she was out there for like three days. I was out there for 14 hours. I drank my ass off. I made an ass out of myself. Um, came home and I was super depressed, super angry. Just kept texting her, no reply, calling her nothing, you know, voicemail. Yeah, I started blaming her. It's all her fault and everything like that. I got more and more mad. So I was supposed to be sober. So what? I, what's the first thing I did? I went to the liquor store and stocked up. We got a 30 pack and a bottle of tequila and, and rum, whatever. And just started drinking and got like some Triscuits and Ritz crackers and some, you know, maybe some frozen pizza or something, just survival food. And um, I wasn't even really eating. I wasn't hungry. I was just drinking a lot. And I just drank and pass out, wake up, drink and drink a little bit more and yeah, I mean, why not? You're only staying, you're only trying to be sober for her. If she's going to leave you, then why the hell not just be completely drunk? Yeah. yeah, I just ruined my life, you know? So what What else is there to live for? What do, you know, what do I care? And, you know, I'll just drink like I want to and I'll figure things out, you know? Mad at her, mad at the world, mad at everything, mad at myself. And um, so, yeah, so I, I remember a couple of different times going to the store, going back and getting more, stocking up. And like the third day I was, desperately low and I knew I needed to go to the store but I remember I was just blacking out falling down hitting my head falling down throwing up can't really eat anything heartburn's really bad I gotta get more beer I gotta figure out a way to go to the store and so I was pretty weak um incoherent <laughs> sweating cold sweats shaky I'm like I gotta take a shower you know they'll try to wake me up they'll make me feel better so we're just kind of sitting there and I remember being so shaky and just kind of like praying to god to send me some angels like somebody send somebody to save me i'm really scared like i i'm not suicidal i don't want to die but i don't want to live like this i can't live like this anymore send me some angels please you know and had the crocodile tears coming down and and then shut off the water and, and opened the door and went dried off a little bit and threw the towel down and went to go get my clothes in the bed and there's a realtor a house is for sale there's a realtor and a young couple there and they're like they just stared at me, you know, like, holy shit. And like, they just kind of slowly walked away and I kind of slowly walked away. I was ashamed. I was super embarrassed. Um, I can honestly say I had many rock bottoms, but that was like the rock bottom. And that was the like spiritual awakening moment. Those are the angels that God sent me, you know, that I was crying like a baby for sent somebody it was just some young couple and a realtor. You know, they, they usually call and say, uh, you know, we're going to come and take a look at your house. Just make sure you lock up your dog or whatever. Um, but I wasn't answering my phone. I didn't go to work for a couple of days. No call, no show. I didn't do the side gig that I was supposed to do. No call, no show. I just shut my phone off too. you know, fuck the world. Um, but that was it. I just went in the kitchen and just dumped out the four or five, six beers that I had. The one that was open, the tequila, the rum, whatever I had threw in the trash, brushed my teeth. I'm like, I'm done. And I, you know, just try to eat, eat stuff. And eventually my wife came home and she's like, you know, unless you go to treatment, we're done. You know, I'm not moving out. I got an apartment. I'm like, what do you mean you got an apartment? I figured she just got like a 30 day lease and stuff. But she's like, yeah, I got an apartment. So I was pretty mad, mad at her. And 
I told her I was just too shaky and, and not strong enough to go to drive to go to the treatment or ready yet. I needed to kind of get a little bit more um, clear headedness or clarity or whatever I said to her. And um, she's like, well, that's your deal. You know, either I go to the apartment now or, or you go to treatment now. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go. I'll go on Tuesday, you know. So that's what I did. I went on Tuesday and um, I told her what I did and she, she was, uh, it's great, but I still got the apartment. You got to fix yourself. You got to figure out yourself before we figure out this marriage thing. I'm like, that's not fair. You know, through, through, what is it through sickness and through health, you know, like I'm not doing well, healthy health wise here. And you're just going to leave me here to deal with this problem on my own. She's like, you know, it's, that's your problem. And this is our problem. This is a marriage. Like it's not going to be a marriage unless you fix yourself. And so she gave me some tough love, which at the time I didn't understand, but I'm forever, forever grateful for. And the guy that I went to at, at the treatment center on that Tuesday um, gave me some tough love too. And like, I went there, it's like, what are you, what are you here for? And, you know, I'm just here for some information, you know, information, are you an alcoholic? I'm like, you know, probably, yeah, more than likely, yeah. And why don't you sign up for treatment? I'm like, well, I got to figure out how much it costs. He's like, what lengths did you go to, to for to drink or to use drugs? Any length? I said, yeah. Then you'll go to what length did you go to to get sober? Any? He said, yeah. Then why wouldn't you sign up? I'm like, well, the, I got to figure out the money. I got to figure out the money part. I got to talk to my wife. I got to talk to work. I I don't you know. I just came to get information. Information ain't gonna do you shit, man. Here's the information. You're an alcoholic and you need help. Your wife may or may not come back to you ever. You made that relationship. I don't know her. I don't know you. It may not be repairable. But if you fix yourself, then you have a chance. Are you going the way you are? You're cutting down. You're, I'm sure you're like cutting down. You tried quitting on your own. Yeah. Well, that didn't work, did it? No, it just keeps getting worse. It kept getting worse every single time. Okay, then you need treatment, right? That's what you're here for. You don't need information. What the fuck is information going to do for you? A pamphlet, a brochure. Um, well, I got to talk to the insurance company. We'll run your insurance and figure out how much it costs. It's your life. You know, if it costs a million dollars, your life worth it. Yeah. Then why don't you fix yourself? Fine, dude, I'll sign up just to shut you up. And I maybe may or may not show up tomorrow or the next day when I'm supposed to, you know, that's what I'm thinking in my mind. But when I, when I signed up, gave him my insurance information and stuff, it was like, I'm like, I'm completely powerless. He's right. You know, a huge burden, a huge weight was lifted off my shoulder. I'm like, I can't do this on my own. I was never able to. And these people are here to help me. So, um, and then once I started, I, you know, the same thing, you know, I got to fix myself. So I got, I went there and got like an education on myself. Like, like I did, my wife say, you never spend time on your own. You got to spend time on your own and figure out who you are. And the counselor said the same thing. Like I spent a long time alone. I was alone. I never really had a steady girlfriend. I, I sat home all the time. Like, yeah, but you always had booze. You always had some something to entertain you. Beer was your friend. And uh, you got to figure out how to live life without that. You know, that's the key. It's anybody can, not anybody can stop drinking, but a lot of people can stop drinking, but you got to figure out how to live life on life's terms and deal with the little problems and deal with the everyday nuances. And so that's what I did. I spent, you know, six months in intensive outpatient, then went to meetings and went to aftercare. And, you know, I quickly learned that too, this wasn't a, you know, a magic pill. There's no quick fix. You need to continuously to work, put work in every single day. Um, today, tomorrow, you know, what's the next day? 29th, the 30th, got to keep going December 1st forever. This is a lifestyle change if you want it, right? If you want it bad enough, you're ready. Um, if I don't, I don't, 
I really have too much to lose to go back out there. I don't want to be arrogant or anything like that. I know there's no cure, but I feel like I don't have the, I lost the urge to, to drink or to use. I don't, I feel pretty comfortable, but that doesn't mean that I won't be an asshole or, or be a shell of myself. You know, if I let my guard down too, I can kind of get off track. I got off track last week. I just, you know, I was living uh, too far in the future and beat myself up for the past. Um, but I have my wife there to point that out. And I see the signs too. I just, uh, I just need to not sweat the small stuff and get back on track. And I'm willing to put the work in. I'm willing to listen and stuff. And anyhow, yeah, that's, uh, that's part so, of my life story. <laughs> so to date that was that time in the house, then was that your last drink to date or there? Yeah, that was November. I just celebrated 13 years. So that was November 17th, 2008. Oh, wow. Was, so you were I was last time yeah. I drank. So just for our listeners to know, because I, uh, I've been doing a pretty good job of getting these, uh, these interviews in queue. So this probably, it'll probably be closer to a month and a half or so until this is aired, but just, just so our listeners know, he just celebrated because we're, we're doing this interview on November 29th. So he's just 12 days out from his, uh, his sober birthday. So a huge congratulations to that. I mean, you said 13 years. Thank you. Yeah. 13 years, man. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a huge accomplishment. That's absolutely amazing. I love that. Um, and Thank it, you. it's a, it's a huge inspiration and motivation for, you know, what, what can happen and you're still with this wife, same, same young woman. Yeah, man. She's, uh, she's, she's my rock. She's the one that, uh, that saved my life. And she, you know, to this day, she, she gives me just went for a walk before this and solid advice. You know, I, she knows I was off track and, and just a couple other things that are going on. She's the voice of reason and, you know, opposites attract. She's just got a tif- different type of brain and that the whole thing screwed her up too, man. We were talking about Al-Anon too. Al-Anon really works. I don't go to a lot of AA meetings right now. I, I do a lot of different things, but, um, she went to Al-Anon in the beginning because she had to fix her. She didn't, she's not an alcoholic. She can have, I never understood it. She can have a beer or half a glass of wine and put it down. I'm like, you're going to waste that, you know, <laughs> that, that costs money, you know, like, why would you not? And how can you just have one? But um, yeah, so she had to learn what an alcoholic's life and she had to fix herself. Like, you know, her, I screwed her up and it can be even worse for the loved ones. But yeah, she's my rock and, and she's done a lot of work on herself and she continues to do work too. Well, shout, shout out to Mrs. Ward for being a hero, for being a, for being a trooper and for, for, you know, for standing by and, and helping us out. Cause I say, I say this all the time. I don't think we stand a chance without those, those loyal ones that really love us and, you know, have our back and throw us the tough love when we need it, because they it's, it just, it helps keep us who we are. And they really are like, the backbone for us in recovery, because in, in recovery, we can't do this alone. You know, I'm, you don't have to necessarily go to AA or, you know, you don't, there, there are so many different ways to get sober, but the one thing that they all have in common is community, not doing it alone. And I think it all starts at home with having people that care about you and want to see the best for you. And also who aren't just going to put up with the bullshit and let you pretend that everything is all good when it's not. Yeah, I have a lot of, I mean, and friends too. You need a network of friends, you know, other resources and stuff to surround yourself with positive people, you know, other people that are in recovery too, that are just like you, um, you know, and kind of help each other out. I have a really good, good uh, network of friends and family, Um, the running community, get into running a little bit here. Um, 
So I moved back to uh, I moved back to Boston in 2009 to the, to the community in Walton, Massachusetts. That you know, I ruined my reputation. I ruined relationships. I caused property damage and chased chased by the police and everything else. And you know, yeah, my reputation was horrible. I was a barfly. I was a drunk. Um, I started running. I started running by I don't know asking a friend if he was running an 8K race in Corning, New York, and he said yes. And I said, well, I'll sign. He's like, I'll, I'll run. I'll run if you do. And so I signed up and this is in May of 2013. I uh, hated every moment of the, of the race. It was really hard, but I finished. I was proud of myself. Felt like I won a gold medal. And um, I asked if I could borrow his computer and like I Googled road running races, Waltham, Massachusetts. And that's, that's the community. That's the city that I grew up in and come to find out there's a race series and there's a race the following Saturday. It's a 5k. So I register and, and then I go down there and I found there was people just like me, people from high school that were in recovery, people that lost weight, people that run because of mental health and stuff in this community that it caused so much damage to, uh, accepted me with open arms. And next thing you know, I'm exchanging numbers with people and, hey, you know, we can go to a meeting sometime. Let's go for a run. Let's train together. Let's hang out. So I had a wow. whole new, whole new network of friends, a whole new hobby and a whole new network of friends. And that just, as my, um, as my money, my running progressed, I started moving up like in distance, more running further and, and longer and stuff like that. And my network grew and um, yeah, and I started doing ultras. So I found an ultra, the ultra world, there's a lot of people in recovery too. Um, so pretty much the people that I was friends with were in recovery and in running and, and, you know, that changed my life for the better and running kind of helped it's not the be all end all but it's one of the tools that i use that helps with my my maintenance and in recovery from from addiction too it kind of helps me feel balanced you know start my day off with a run i'm setting myself up i got like the runner's high and the endorphins kicking the dopamine and having not that great of a day after work go out and go for a run and burn off the craziness um yeah and then Ultra running is a whole different animal you got a lot more time in your head and your hands you know and on your feet to to work out problems or to talk to somebody else. And um, yeah, I mean, I just find that it, it's soothing and it works for me. And did you, did you jump? How, what was the progression like for you with a, uh, with run with uh, race distances? So did you cover I, every distance before you got to ultra. Uh, yeah, I did. So I did a half marathon. I did the Boston half marathon. So I started running. Mavenson half. And then I did the Pittsburgh marathon uh in may of 2014 and then i did wine glass in october and then rock and roll marathon in january and in 2015 i ran like eight or nine marathons and i also ran my first ultra in may which is a rock and roll marathon in las vegas no in arizona so we came back okay. here you know another community that i did a lot of damage to my reputation um so it's kind of weird i'm like man, i bought beer there i go and pass different things on the course i bought beer there and I drank at this place and oh yeah, so-and-so lives there. And it was cool. There was a lot of raw moments, but uh, yeah. Then I found out about the ultra thing and I went from 50, I did a 54 miler, 50 miler. And then in 2016, I signed up for Havelina hundred, which is out here in Arizona. And then when I came back out here, I felt like this is where I wanted to be. This is where I wanted to live. Like I didn't run or anything like that when I lived out here before, it was just a different life. It was just an alcoholic. 
And um, like, this is where I want to be. So the seed was planted again to, to move back here. And, and, and we started discussions about that. Um, and then 2017, I started running for a foundation called Run Well, and they help people that are suffering from addiction afford treatment. And I raised a lot of money for them. So I did kind of didn't know what my, I didn't know what my role would be in the beginning for them, but I ended up doing different fundraising concepts on my own. I did a 12 hour treadmill event. I did what's called the Boston Marathon Quad. So I ran the marathon course four consecutive times. So basically like 105 miles. Um, Actually in Boston or was that the, was that the 12 hour treadmill? That was in Boston. The 12 hour treadmill was in Corning, New York at my friend's gym where my running, where my running career started that first race. And then we had made the decision to move to Arizona. And I said, can we just, can I do one more last hurrah, uh, one more fundraiser? And I ended up doing a 24 hour track run. And then we moved to Arizona in May of 2017. And then I did a 24 hour desert run. And then I did a stage race in Patagonia. That's what I was raising funds for, for that, for that run. Well, and then so what's next. So I, I really enjoyed doing like those badass type runs, those longer distance ones that weren't necessarily races. So since then I've done, uh, I've done five Boston marathon quads. I've done three Mesa marathon quads. I did a 24 hour treadmillathon and I did a 66.6 hour one called Satan sidewalk last February. And then yeah, a couple, couple 24 hour desert runs, uh, all raising money for people that are suffering from addiction. Yeah. Um, that's, that's amazing. Have you, have you ever heard of uh shit? I'm John date. Is it David Clark? Yeah. He passed away. So he was yeah, a yeah, yeah. to me. Wasn't he, yeah. he was one of the ones, wasn't he the first person to do the, the Boston quad or something like that in general? Yeah. So as the story goes, um, I don't know that he was the first one, but in 2015, I did a Boston double. So I did like a yo-yo. I did from the finish line to the start line to the finish line. And one of my friends that did it said, uh, you know, I was with David who did it last year and I never really did find him. And I was running with his friends or trying to find him. I'm like, wait, wait, David Clark, David Clark from out there, the book out there, the guy that's in recovery. Yeah. Like, I didn't know that he was out there in the Boston course. Like, yeah, he did a quad. Holy shit. He did the course four times. Like, why would anybody want to do that? And then after doing it twice, I'm like, yeah, you know, that's enough for me. And then I was going um, to personal training school and long story short, we had a snow day. So I went out to the course. I'm like, I got six hours of time on my hands. I'm going to go out and run in the Boston course. So I dumped the car off and started running and started thinking about, you know, I wonder, I, maybe, maybe I'll think about doing that quad thing. You know, I, my fitness levels a little bit more, maybe, you know, the progression to two is, is three, but um, you know, I started thinking about it and then like a four of clubs, like playing card blows by my feet in the snow and I pick it up. I'm like that's oh, a sign. Man. That's a oh, sign. Wow. Yeah. So, um, so I po- I took a picture of it, posted on Facebook to hold myself accountable. Like I'm doing the quad. Yeah. And, and, you know, so I set a date and so on and so forth and I did it. Um, but yeah, David, David was a, um, very inspirational guy to many, but especially to me, um, I had a lot of good conversations with him on the phone. I was on his podcast that we, we run, we are Superman. And then, um, yeah, just seeing him at different races and stuff. I saw him at Havelina, Bad Badwater, Cape Fear, a um, couple other couple other races too. Super good guy. Super sad story that he's gone. I, think I wish I would have. I, w- I really wish I would have had a chance to have a conversation with him. It's just he's a oh, man. He's a big Yankees fan, man. 
Rangers, yeah. Yankees. So we had a lot of sports chat too. Yeah, um, I listened to the Rich Roll podcast and yeah. he had him on. And I think he was on there twice before passing. Yeah, they were good and, friends. And, you know, I so I, I followed the podcast that I follow. Um, I listened to in order. So when I originally was listening to it, I think I listened to the first two David Clark interviews before I even knew he actually was that he even passed away. Um, and then I interviewed someone here on this podcast who was talking about David Clark running the quad as well. And he, he made a comment about like, Oh, well, let's go do this in honor of David Clark. And I said in honor of, and then that's like, that's kind of like how I found out that he passed. And I was like, shit, that's terrible. And then fast forward a little bit more. I'm still listening to Rich Roll and I, then I get to the episode where he actually then has like the in remembrance of David Clark episode. And I was like, this is just absolutely terrible. I was like, he's, I really, really wish I could have had a chance to like talk to him or interview him or just even just, just have a conversation with him, meet him, hug him, shake his hand, run with him. Like he's just one of those people that like, if you're in recovery and you're a runner, he's, he's like a superhero and he is like one of those guys. And I think a lot of people that are in recovery and run really, really, really looked up to him. And man, I, I, I really wish looking back that I could have had a chance to ever meet him or just, yeah, just he, to talk I mean, to him. I mean, he definitely left his mark. He's definitely a legend. Um, yeah. I wish he was still here today. Just, you never just a reminder you never know he went in for surgery he went in for like hip surgery and then had like a like a complication to the surgery like a blood clot in his leg and and it was complications from that and yeah the rest is history i think charlie charlie angle ran either ran with him or ran in honor of him as well doing something well they ran across they did um they did a run across the united states yeah that's that's what it was 16 yeah um Catrick corbett also was there and a few other people. Yeah, I, I've actually had the pleasure of interviewing both of them on here as well. I had Charlie yeah. on. I had Katra. Yeah. Those, again, those are those are those are again like heroes and superstars in the running community too. And and those are those are people too that it's like you know we've overcome some stuff. You know some some real shit being being in recovery and doing what we're doing, uh, being out there running, trying to set an example for others. But those are a few people too, like Katra and Charlie are two people specifically that you don't have to know anything about recovery. You know, you could be a responsible, normal drinker, so to speak, and just look up to what they've done because their their accomplishments speak for themselves, even aside from recovery. No, and then sure. it almost makes even more sense when you hear the stuff they overcome. I don't want to say that it's easy, but it almost makes it seem like yeah, well, you overcame a crack addiction and getting your car shot at and this and that. So, you know, probably running 100 miles was probably the easy part because quitting crack was probably the hard part. Or, you know, Charlie then being in, in prison for two years sober and running bad water, like from in the inside. Prison. Yeah, like in the prison yard. It's like, come on, like, man, it's just like that stuff is probably, oh, man, they're just unbelievable so, people when I go through tough times in a, in a race or, you know, one of these fat ass things that I do, and there's been a lot of tough times, I can always draw back. and like, well, I had it. I suffered a lot more during my active addiction years and there's 
25 million Americans that are still out there suffering. I, you know, I can, I can, like, I can deal with this foot pain and this knee pain or this nausea or this fatigue. This is nothing compared to what I used to go to go through or what other people are going through today, you know? Um, shut up and keep going. Yeah, for sure. Now I hate to make an assumption here. And if I'm wrong, I completely apologize. Like I said, I I didn't do too much research in your story, but from, from what I could grasp just by looking through your Facebook a little bit, did I see, are you, are you considered an elite runner? Is this what you do for a living now? Are you considered like the fast of the fast or is I know I, was, I know you're doing a lot for the community, but are you like up there? And you you don't have to be humble right now, but are you like up there with with the best of the best right now? I'm the fastest runner in my house. I'll say that. No, um, <laughs> I love that answer. Well, maybe, maybe my dog Winnie's pretty fast too. But no, um, honestly, no. I'm on the uh, I was on the elite team for Ink and Burn. That's a company that makes uh, some great athletic wear, some shirts, and I got my custom bacon shirt on here to plug them. Um, that's a really cool yeah, no, shirt. Can I say that yeah. again? Ink and burn. So it's bacon. So we're, oh, okay. we went away to, to Palm, Palm Springs, Palm. Yeah. Palm, no, Palm desert, California. And we cooked up, you know, I cooked up like three or four pounds of bacon and I took a picture of it and they have a, a custom option on their website. It was typically just for pets and stuff in the beginning. Like, Hey, can I put anything on there? So I've made a bunch of different ones, uh, including this nice bacon shirt, but yeah, no, I, I run on their elite team. Um, I'm not a, um, I'm not always a podium finisher. I'm not the fastest guy, especially on the trails, but you know, I do pretty well. Um, and just, I'm more of a hybrid runner and, and I promote their product in a positive and fun manner. And they like, what kind of material are those shirts? Are they good for running in? Oh yeah, definitely. It's perfect for Arizona. So they have like this patented dry ice material. So, you know, some of the other companies have different terminology, but it's really nice. It's really light. It's breathable. Like a lot of those tech shirts kind of stink, right? And they kind of get that stink built into them. They don't stink and they evaporate pretty well out here. And they look cool. They got some really, they have a really great uh, art team, design team. And they, uh, it's, you just go to their website and you could just pick out a shirt. www.inkandburn.com. Yeah, I'm going to need to get bunch, one. Yeah. And they got shorts and, you know, for women, they have a bunch of different options too. They got skirts and, capris they have like these like breeze type things like wraparound things stuff for yoga Good so stuff. for for people listening uh considering you're a, a runner for them and you clearly are i guess i guess you could say ambassador or spot or whatever however you want to word that um is there a, a promo code or anything that anybody can say so that way they know that they heard of it from you you make that way you make sure you get your love or maybe they yeah, get a no, discount either or yeah, they could just share on Facebook and kind of tag me or something like that. I heard it from Henry Ward. Um, they did have a, a Black Friday sale, like a blowout sale uh, this past weekend. I don't have a promo code per se to share. Um, I just like to share the love and, and help promote their their product. Like, Are they doing a Cyber Monday today? Uh, I don't know. I haven't really been online, but oh, I think the, the, the black tag, the black Friday sale was extended through yesterday. I don't know if it's still going on today or not. Ah, shit. I wish I would have known. I really, yeah, oh man, only if this interview was like a day sooner, I would have had another excuse to spend more money on running stuff as if I don't have it. enough shirts, but yeah, I, yeah, I always you, need if more. You, if you sign up for their newsletter, you get 10% off. So that helps, but okay. there's a lot of good gear in there. Yeah. A lot of good stuff. Check it out. Are they more on the expensive side? Yes, but okay. it's worth it. It's definitely worth it. I don't have any, any 
anything with any pulls or any tears or any fades or anything like that. I've had some of the same stuff. The first piece I got was back in 2014. Um, I still wear it to this day. You know, I got to find too, like, I don't know if I'm not running hard enough or I'm not running long enough, but you know, I hear people say all the time that like their tech shirts get like those, those odors burnt into them and like they have trouble getting them out no matter how they wash them. I don't know. And, and a lot of times too, I have so much run stuff that I bought quite a few, just like whatever the cheapest, like three pack on Amazon to just get different colors to match all my running shoes. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't think I have any of that stuff like that hasn't happened. I don't know if I just get lucky or whatnot. Maybe I need to work a little bit harder when I'm running. Some people I, just don't stink either. Right. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know what it is like that. Cause I see that a lot too. I mean, I'm a member of so many running groups on Facebook and I see people post stuff like that regularly. Like, how do you get this odor out? How do you wash them or what brands are good? And I'm just like, maybe I'm lucky that doesn't happen to me. And I don't know. Maybe I'm just blessed because I spend so much on running shoes that when it comes to the clothing, I just try and get comfortable stuff, but I try not to spend too much money on it because I'm already buying like every color of everything as it is. But <laughs> maybe maybe I got to spring and get a really cool shirt. Go like buy, that yourself, as well. buy yourself something for Christmas. You deserve it <laughs> for sure. Maybe maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll tell the wife and maybe Santa will send me something. There you go. Just send her the link. Send her the website. <laughs> uh so what what kind of distances are are you still covering right now? Like what what is the I guess what is the longest distance you've covered in one shot, whether it be time or distance, or if that's if that's like a double question, go for it. Uh okay, so that that sixty-six hour sixty-six point six hour treadmill event I did in February, I ended up covering two hundred and four miles over the course 66 of three and a half days. hour treadmill event. So I took, I slept in the nighttime. Like I went home and crashed out for four or five, six hours or whatever, and got back to work in the morning. Uh, it wasn't one shot, uh, but you know, I took breaks. Yeah, but that was 204 miles. I signed up for Cocodona 250 last year and ran that. Those ended up being 255 miles. Uh, however, I didn't make it past mile 127, I believe, but I'm registered for that again next year. Um, uh marathon the quads i think the most i did was 110 miles because we took a couple wrong turns that should be 104.8 26.2 times four is one you did you threw you threw an extra 10k on there we so we started off 2018 going the wrong way so i had reverse directions and like well i'm looking for a wendy's here and like there's no wendy's the 202 highways here like oh man we went the wrong way we went back to where we started tacked on Two and a half miles from the get-go. I had to go back. No to the baconator for you. Oh man, I was pissed. <laughs> I was pissed. Five miles off the bat before we even started going the wrong way. Oh man. But no, yeah. So consecutively, I guess technically it'd be the Cocodona, 127 miles. Say, that's yeah. Um, that's so insane. Yeah, you know, you're just you're just going longer. You're enduring longer. You're doing things longer. You're going slower. So. You work in different muscle groups. Um, you know, my problem was I couldn't really sleep. I got a couple of dirt naps in in the desert. And that's it. You know, five minutes here, three minutes there. Um, but um, yeah, no, I, uh, I'll take what I learned from last year and some other long runs and apply it towards May of 2022 and do it all over again. This what time was I'll that? Finish. 
I, I definitely still want to talk about the treadmill. What was what was that like for you? Do you are you do you enjoy running on treadmills or no, is that just something? No, not at all. I enjoy being outside. I, I run, you know, 115, 118 degrees out here during the day in the summer. Or I ran back in the freezing cold back in Boston. Yeah, I just like being outside. So I a couple of years ago I started forcing myself for my own recovery to do things that I don't like doing. And so, you know what, I'm going to, I ran a stage race on the, on the treadmill. So it was like a marathon, pretty much a marathon a day for like four days. And then I did like 40 something miles up the fifth day. And then, um, yeah, I did the 12 hour treadmill thon I had a hard time with that. I just, I don't know, I was beat up. I ran the first 50 in my Luna sandals. I probably should have switched out to regular, more comfortable shoes early in that. But, um, and then I had the idea or I had the opportunity I had someone forward me the, the link, like, Hey, this race is right up your alley. Like, it's not really a race. It's just an event. It's a virtual event, but I'll think about doing, I'm like 50 bucks or whatever, and just kind of do a, turn it into a fundraiser. And so that's what I did. Um, I ended up, uh, doing it at, at, a Chandler MMA, a gym down the street from my house. I have a friend that's the owner and he said, I'll give you the keys. I'll give you the, the password to the computer. You can listen to your Spotify music, whatever. There'll be classes on going on during the day. So you get to watch that. And the gym's yours, man. The treadmill's yours. So it was really, really cool, man. Like literally, like there was no dark spots, no, you know, ultras always is dark spots. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering. I had I had pain like in my legs just from the repetition and stuff. And but no mental pain. I had friends, I had family that came, brought me food. We had tacos every morning at eight o'clock in the morning for three days in a row. Carne asada tacos with guacamole and pico de gallo and cannolis, pizza. I had a Reuben sandwich one day for lunch. Just people kept bringing food. It was I'm like- so hungry right now. I know, I'm getting hungry. <laughs> yeah. so like quesadillas, burritos, tacos, you know, like people just cookies, whatever. People just were bringing food. Like, this is ridiculous. This is like- a food fest mixed in with some running. Um, I ate no gels, no nothing like that. It was just like real food and I had energy and I, I was happy the whole time. And, you know, honestly, I was entertained. There was, there was some sort of personal training. There was kids classes, adult classes. There was multiple classes going on at once between that and the visitors coming in and listening to music. It was like, time went by really fast. I really didn't have any suffering. And, you know, I got to like eight o'clock. So I'd go home eight, eight thirty take a shower, see the family, hang out on the couch for a few, go to bed, wake up, maybe take a shower again to wake up, drink my own coffee, go to the bathroom and go, go to the gym, do it all over again. And I did that for three and a half days and it was great. You know, there was a buzz in the gym. There was a buzz in the community. The media got hold of it. And, um, you know, I got a lot of messages from complete strangers thanking for me what I did, sharing my story of hope that we can recover and often thrive and you know, never mind donations and stuff. So yeah, it was really, it was really, really cool. So I'm doing that again in February. That's, that's uh, super we'll just, cool. We'll yeah. I can't, <laughs> I can't wait to follow that in February and I'll definitely be doing anything I can to try and help uh, plug that and promote that for you. I think that's really right. awesome. Um, and the right main on. reason I asked about that too, is because, so my, my number one goal, my a goal right now is to qualify for Boston. But as soon as I do that, then I have, so many things that I want to do, but right now it's just, it's putting everything in, into trying to qualify for Boston, especially because I've been dealing with injuries the last couple of years. I broke my ankle and then, I, then I recovered. And then I, now I just broke my ankle again. Now I got to go, I'm going to get an MRI in a couple of days. I might need surgery. So 
Um, every everything is getting put into qualifying for Boston, but after that, like I was actually told last year, I trained for a marathon in the winter time, and I bought a new treadmill, and I probably did of of all of my runs, I probably did ninety percent of the runs on a treadmill in my basement, including the long runs. And every time I would post about it, people would be like, "You're insane! How do you do that? How do you deal with the treadmill?" And and you know, and I'm just like, I don't even hate it. Like I actually enjoy it. I'd pop something up on the tablet. I'd watch something. I'd listen to something and I would just power through. Yeah. So it like, it made me think, I'm like, you know, all these people say that this is like sick and you know, and whatnot. And I'm just like, you know, I started Googling like world records for stuff. And, and I started looking at like a few treadmill world records. And I was like, you know, maybe one day I can like, shoot my shot at one of these world records, but also turn it into a fundraiser. So that way oh, even for if sure, it yeah. doesn't happen, I can try and raise money for, for the community and, and try and do some things. So it's like, it's really cool to like know someone now who has put themselves through that suffering. So maybe I can like, if I get to that point in a couple of years where I'm trying to put that together, maybe I can reach out and maybe, hopefully get some sure. feedback. hundred percent. Yeah. Pe- people say to me like, I can't run 20 minutes or, or I can't run two miles in a treadmill. Of course you, of course you can, right? You got to want to like, so I, when I did that stage race, <laughs> I was at a gym, a 24 hour gym. And I used to bring my son there and I would, the only way I can get him in the door is by bribing him with Halloween candy. So I had a surplus of Swedish fish and sour patch kids, little packages that I kept in my gym bag. So I got him in the gym and, you know, here you go. And I go do my thing, pick him up. Everybody's happy. So um, this one particular Saturday morning, after about 20 minutes, I'm like, I'm going insane. I'm already tired of sports center. I'm already tired of music. I'm tired of being in this treadmill. It sucks. It's boring. I hate it. I'd rather be outside. And then I so what do I got my bags? So I reached in and got some Swedish fish and popped the, you know, four or five in my mouth and it put a smile on my face. And so I decided to do the same thing again, like two miles later and then two miles later. So I said, you know what? I'm going to use like my gym bag as my aid station. I'm going to reward myself with a little package of Swedish fish every two miles. All I got to do is go two miles before I knew it. I was at like 20 miles. I'm like, this is easy. And so I, I did that for a couple of <laughs> days and then I had to go to restock up, but I basically fueled, uh, fueled my, my treadmill, uh, stage race on Swedish fish. Um, so, you know, a lot of it's in the head, right? If you say this sucks, I hate this. I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to go to work. I hate my boss. I hate my job. You're going to have a shitty day. You know, you have a shitty day at work. But if you go there and just like, you know what, I'm just going to power through this. I'm going to go there. I'm going to run for two miles. I'm going to put the tunes on. I'm going to reward myself with something and, and just keep going and power through. Then you can get through it. Of course you can. Right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, do you have any, any upcoming other than the, the February event? Is there anything else on your calendar scheduled? People can yes. look out for what you're doing. Uh, I'm, I might do something. I'm probably going to refrain from doing something in December, but I kind of was thinking about doing a 24 hour taco run. So a run that was, you know, like small loops with um, using, utilizing my friend's taco truck as the main aid station. Uh, That might happen. I'm not sure. I have to think about it a little bit more, but my main goal is to qualify for Boston at the Arizona rock and roll marathon in mid January. Have you ever qualified for Boston? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've qualified three times. So um, I like to keep that, keep that going. Uh, and then Mesa marathon quad. So the Mesa marathon quad is the marathon course four times. I'm doing that in early February. And then later in February, I'm doing that Satan sidewalk, 66.6 hour 
treadmill events, March. I don't believe I have anything planned yet. Uh, April is possibly Boston. I did not qualify for Boston this year. I didn't get a marathon in because of COVID. Uh, but I'm going to try and get into Boston and I will do the quad if I get in again. And then Cocodona 250 is in early May. And that's it. For and you'll be getting the whole 250 done that time. Yes, I will, sir. <laughs> that's the plan. But, you know, anything can happen. Never get too high, never get too low. But oh, we I'm have faith in you. And we're definitely rooting I for you on that focus one. On that. Yeah. And, and then personally here, I just finished up um, my second book. My first book I wrote during the pandemic. It's called Running Without the Devil. So that's my story about my early signs of addiction that I kind of blatantly ignored. My active addiction here is my rock bottom that I spoke about a little bit. And then finally, completely understanding that I was power, powerless over alcohol and drugs and entering into treatment and then aftercare, then how I found running, how running's helped me and kind of where I want to go with that. That came out last year. And then I just finished a kid's book about addiction. I, I want to teach kids when they're younger and give them a chance about addiction. So, you know, I teach them that there's, it's called One Donut Too Many, or like the editing stages of that and do it in the animation and stuff. But it's teaching kids about addiction, you know, addic addiction to to donuts, to sweets, to food. That's interesting. To, what age group is that going to be for? Uh, like eight to twelve, eight wow. to twelve. So, yeah, um, you know, cell phone addiction. Social media is right around the corner for those kids, right? Um, there's addiction to, to everything. So little signs that you can see and things you can you can kind of do to to kind of um, combat that, such as running, fitness, exercise, team sports. So, where can we find these books? Uh, you can find the book on my website, www.runningwithoutthedevil.com and running without the devil book is also available on Amazon. everything just spelled the way, the way it sounds. No, no funky Correct. spelling there. No running without the devil.com. Yep. On my website. And then that book is available on Amazon and, uh, uh, one donut too many will be available after the first of the year. That's what I'm telling people. You know, I found that. The writing the book's the easy part. The editing part is a little bit more challenging. So hopefully, hopefully it's just shortly after the first of the year. But running without the devil, my running book is is out and has been out. I love that. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to look for that. I have to check that out. Is there gonna be an audible version available soon? Maybe, maybe. I you know, I had gotten a personal coach, like a business coach, last year, and she one of the things she said was, "I'm gonna give you three three shiny balls." at once and you can only once you finish with one you put one down you can pick a new thing up so i have a million ideas in my my monkey brain in my head but i need to really remember that too like you know i can't do too many things at once because you know i just end up spinning my wheels and not get anything done you know and certainly not done right so i'm going to finish writing this book and then i get a couple other projects that i'm working on before nice. i start doing it. i want to do a book in spanish too and I love books on yeah. Audible because my attention span is dog shit. So I have trouble. Yeah. I have trouble reading sometimes, but I love being able to listen on the go. Oh, sure. 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 Yeah. They can listen to podcasts like at the gym yeah. while I'm walking and running. Yeah. Like I listen to, I listen to podcasts and audio books while I'm, while I'm running and at the gym, like regularly. And that's, that's, that's how I get a lot of my best. I, I can't remember actually. I think, I think reading uh, a friend of mine's book, uh, Brian Reed, I read his book. He was on, he was here on the podcast too. I think that might've been the only book that I've actually physically read since 
since high school other than going through like the AA big book. That might be the only yeah. book that I've like physically read because I've been fortunate enough that like Charlie's book and Catra's book are both on uh they I both know, have yeah. audible versions and you know David Goggins book and David Clark and they're all they're all audio versions. So I've been very I've been very spoiled with that. So I it's think your book list. might end up being the second if it's if it's not done in yeah. So I, uh, side note is I ended up speaking into my phone for, you know, numerous chapters. I was having struggling with time. Like I was working all the time, family life got busy out here when I moved to Arizona. So I ended up like speaking into my phone. Right. And, um, when I went to go edit, it was pretty challenging. Some of the things I don't even know what I was, you know, the, the wind or the cars going by was just words. I don't even know what, what I was saying. So I had, a, <laughs> I had a tough time editing it, but a, a lot of the chapters were spoken into my phone while I was walking or running and just to make good use of my time. So you're a chef, the, the food scene in Boston versus the food scene in Arizona. It, uh, totally different. You know, out here, there's a lot of franchises. There are mom and pop shops, but, uh, you know, back back home is a lot more mom and pop shops and, you know, traditional New England cuisine, um, you know, Italian foods, different chowder. over there. Chowder, yeah, clam chowder, lobster, um, you know, a lot of seafood, obviously, because you're closer to the ocean. Um, out here, it's Southwestern barbecue and, of course, being so close to Mexico, Mexican, so... We do a lot of good things out here. There's a lot of good things out there too. You know, we go back home. I go back home. We go to our favorite spots. We go to the North End, spend a lot of time there. That's the Italian section. Um, you know, there's there's a Chinatown there. There's a lot of good Chinese food back in Boston too. Out here, not so much. Um, so it's just different. But you probably yeah, get you the best to... tamales of your life in Arizona, though. The, the best tamales, the best Mexican. Yeah, you know some authentic ingredients and stuff too that you can't even find in Boston. The barbecue, though, too. It's decent, yeah, because you know a lot of influence of Texas people from Texas and New Mexico that have come okay. over here. Um, I would, I want to, yeah. I want to eat barbecue, and I want to eat Texas from Texas from barbecue. I, I want to eat barbecue from Texas so bad, so yeah, bad. It's the, so I've driven cross country six times in all and there's a place in Amarillo, texas we had like googled like where we're going to be at lunchtime you know oh, that's like three hours away so probably like Amarillo, texas well let's see what they got for barbecue so we went on yelp and this site and that site and we went to this place called hanks h-e-n-k-s it was like the dankest darkest dive um but it was the best food ever you probably know, the best super- brisket you've ever had in your life it was very got brisket sandwiches and like i remember like Hey, this sauce is the best barbecue sauce I've ever had. And I'm a chef. Can you sell me some? And they're like, oh, I don't know what to charge you. But like, so they asked somebody, like, just give me a dollar. And they gave me like a 32 ounce styrofoam cup and lid. And, and you know, for this barbecue sauce that, <laughs> that stayed in my cup holder until we got to the hotel. And I, and I, and I packed it. I brought it in there and made sure the first thing I did was put it in the refrigerator in there and took good care of it. And, Put it back in the cup holder as we drove to Missouri and da, 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 all the way to, to Walton, Massachusetts. We moved back to Boston and then made sure I got like a like a glass mason jar, put it in there, you know, airtight, took good care of it. Like, do not use. This is really special occasions. Property of Henry. I love <laughs> it, it only broke. Yeah. So then when we drove two more times cross country, we made sure we stopped at Hank's, timed it just right. But well, with your name being Henry, you should have just told people like, yeah, this is uh, this is this Hank's barbecue sauce. Just let people just assume it's yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. In, in this g- generic styrofoam cup. Right. Uh, that's that's yeah. so cool, though. 
I, I man, I, I love food. I've been in the restaurant industry on and off for 20 years. And I just, I love, I love different cultures of food and it's, it's so I love amazing. just to eat. Yeah. My uh, God, I'm getting so hungry doing this episode. I don't think I've ever uh, been this hungry at the end of a podcast episode in my life. I this think is, I'm going to get some barbecue. <laughs> yeah. And this is, this is, I know you're in the mountain time, but for me, it's, it's 1230. So it's damn near lunchtime. And I don't think I only have like healthy meal preps and stuff here too. I'm out of all the Thanksgiving leftovers. Like I don't feel like waiting for takeout. I don't, I, I don't, I feel like I'm not going to get what I need to, to suffice the hunger I got. Cause I want like some real home cooking. Like I want something from a restaurant right now, but I'm going to have to yeah. sell for like a frozen pizza with my son. I know that Rudy's barbecue is open. I could probably go get my hands on a nice brisket sandwich and that, oh, that might happen. Some fried, fried pickles. You're killing me right now. <laughs> mail that shit over. I need you to mail that with a book and a, and a ink and burn t-shirt. Like, can there you get you go, that yeah. on like express delivery by like this afternoon? <laughs> I'll see what I can do. I, I know, I know people. I told you, I know people. There you go, man. I if it's, we gotta, we gotta link something up. It would be so cool to catch you on the East coast. Uh, when you're out here doing anything and, and to be able to like run with you and meet you in person, I, I think that would just be a blast. You seem, you seem like a, such a fun guy to be around and we can just go eat till we can't move anymore. That sounds sad. Yeah, that's perfect. Eat, run, sleep, right? Just... Yeah, for, well, maybe the other way around. Cause I don't know about eating and then running. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Well, I mean, well, the ultra well you're one, an you ultra gotta... runner. Though. I mean, that's the thing too, you know, so I've never run like, you know, Scott Coomer from 10 junk miles. He, he, he told me that I get to consider myself an ultra runner. Cause it's anything more than 26.2. And when I sure. ran a marathon, I, I took a bad tangent. And so I got a 26.4 in my marathon. So he tells me I'm officially an ultra runner, but you know, in my heart in, in my realistic brain, I don't consider myself one yet till I go do that. But you know, that, that is the one thing that I've heard in any podcast I listen to and anybody that does ultras is you actually have to learn how to like eat, eat. Cause when I run a marathon or I do long training runs, it's, it's, you know, it's goose, it's gels, it's, or, yeah. or like the, the little, li little gummies and whatnot. But like when you go in the ultra, yeah, you can't get away with that. And it's like, you know, all these aid stations with like real food. And I, I think that in my head regularly too, it's like, you guys are like smoking pig and they're doing this and that. And it's like, as delicious as a pulled pork sandwich sounds like, how hard would it be to like get one down and then go back out and run? But I guess the pacing is different. So you're not hurting your stomach as much. And to just, I feel like that's a whole nother training aspect of just getting your body used to that. It's a learned thing. Yeah. Like I would just nibble on watermelon or M&Ms and things like that, chips, pretzels. And then that really stopped working for me. I really, once I started eating like bean burritos, slice of pizza, peanut butter and jelly, that type of stuff. Um, it sticks with you longer. It gives you like more sustainable energy. I didn't, I, my body wasn't craving that at all. Like, no, I can't eat that. I get a weak stomach uh, from years of damage, but start introducing stuff and start trying it. You need it. If you don't, you don't eat early and eat often. You ain't going to make it. You're going to yeah. crash and burn. You find out too late. They, uh, I heard, I heard someone say in one of those podcasts too, that you have to eat before you're hungry because once you're actually hungry, you're done. You're, you're in a calorie done. deficit. Yeah, yeah you're in calorie. Deficit. Your body is done, and if you actually feel hungry, then it's probably too late. They uh, they actually compared it to the mountain lion. It's like by the time you actually see the mountain lion, it's too late. Too late. Yeah, <laughs> you're done. Yeah. So uh, for for the people out there listening to this podcast, 
for those that are still sick and suffering and looking for a reason to put the drink or the drug down, or those that might have some clean time, but have been thinking about picking up and, and looking for some, for a reason not to, what can you say to these people with 13 years of recovery? What can you say to those people to, to help them either put the drink or the drug down or to not pick up today? One day at a time, just uh, taking, sometimes it's one moment at a time, just kind of keep putting one foot instead in front of the other. Um, it's sometimes it's not pretty, but um, keep moving forward, whatever you do. Just uh, don't worry too much about the future and, and don't dwell on the past. Just take it one day at a time. Man, I feel like I've heard that somewhere before. <laughs> so, so I, I feel like we, even though we just used, even though you just used that tagline now, I mean, now we're going to close out the episode the only way that I know how. So uh, we definitely want to thank you so much for being on the show today. Well, before we do this, is there anything else, anything or anybody you wanted to plug, promote, anything else you wanted to say, anything, you know, as they say in the rooms, do you have any burning desires that, that you want to make sure anything that people should know about Henry? Uh, no, I think that's about, I think we covered everything. Cool. Cool. So yeah, got to find this man's book. Check out the website. We'll put everything. We'll put all the links in the show notes and we'll make sure that it's easily accessible. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll try and get those. We'll try and get you some more books sold and, and keep getting the message out of the experience, strength and hope. So uh, we definitely want to thank you so much for being on the show today with us and taking the time on behalf of everybody following with the staying fit ODAC community on all of our social media outlets on behalf of everybody in the Facebook group and all of our listeners out here on the podcast today, Henry, we want to thank you so much for your time. And for sharing that experience, strength, and hope, all we ask of you is that you continue staying healthy, continue staying fit. And brother, tell us how you're doing it. Thanks, Big. One day at a time. Love it. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Staying Fit Odette. If you yourself identify as someone in recovery, whether it be from alcoholism, substance abuse, anxiety, depression, or any other type of mental health issue, then please join the group on Facebook at Staying Fit O-D-A-A-T, three different words. If you do not identify as someone in recovery, but you like everything we have going on and you want to continue staying in the loop with everything, then please follow us on Instagram at Staying Fit O-D-A-A-T. You can also email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at stayingfitodaat at gmail.com. Until next time, just know you're loved, continue staying healthy, continue staying fit, and please keep doing this one day at a time.